Uh, enjoy, students. I'm going to pray for us. So, dear Lord, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for First Samuel. I hope everyone is getting something out of it like I've been getting something out of it. It's one of those, it's one of those books I forget about sometimes, sadly, and it is a chuck-full book of great uh, life lessons, great history, and great ways um, to connect with you, God. I uh, pray for this time as we continue on worship, God, that we uh, will we'll listen and, and hear from you, God, and I just pray for me and speak through me and speak despite me, God, and uh, that we all just learn about you and your love for us, Father. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to continue on. You can open up if you are the Bible type, 1 Samuel 24. Now, if you see the title and you don't in- instantly know what I am talking about, shame, shame, right? We have one rule at Rock Bible Church. It's see movies. And if you're asking which movie, yes, right? All of them. And I'm going to explain to you uh, the saying, he's right behind me, isn't he? Because this is crucial, it's important, and if you've ever seen like any cheesy, good cheesy movie, it's going to be in there, okay? So let me, I'm going to describe the scene, okay? So Hero and his buddies are walking in, and his buddies stop about right here, and the hero continues walking, and he's talking to his buddies about, oh, we're going to beat up the villain, and the, and, and the buddies are over here, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to beat up the villain, and the hero is right here, he's like, yeah, and, and the, the villain's not even scary, and he's a loser, and his mom doesn't love him, and this whole time, the bad villain guy is right here, and his buddies, and as the hero's going, oh, this, that, the other thing, uh, the, his buddies are standing here, and they're like, and, and, and the hero now is looking at his body, seeing that, and he's like, oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? Right? And, and this is what we find in this chapter because of that. And if you've ever, it's time and time again. Sometimes it's the villain. Sometimes it's the hero. It's a, it's a common trope in movies. You'll see it more times than not. But uh, it's, it's one of my favorite tropes in movies because it's funny, it's, it's, it's silly, and it's not overdone. So, uh, but we see it actually in this chapter. Uh, so that's why this chapter is actually one of my favorite chapters. So let's continue uh, on to 1 Samuel 24. Um, it, little reminders, David's on the run. Who's trying to kill David? Thank you. Okay, you all get an A. Good job. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so remember that. Um, so verse 20, uh, sorry, chapter 24, verse 1. It says, when Saul returned from, uh, from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats. Uh, does anyone remember how many, pe- how many men David has? 600. Wow. Holy cow, you guys pay attention. Good job. I couldn't say that, right? I was like, uh, it's a big part. I gotta look up the number. So Saul gets 3,000 men, David, 600. I'm no mathematician, 3,000 bigger than 600. Not only that, they do a little caveat with that 3,000 number, right? What does it say? It says, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all all Israel. What's the implication with that? The best of the best. Why? He has to fight against David. David's got God on his side. 
Now, what did we learn a couple chapters ago? Saul, spirit of the Lord, left him. There's fear. For one of the first time in Saul's life, we see real fear, right? There's been a lot of jealousy. There's been a lot of speculations. And, and time and time again, do we see Saul make rash decisions? But this is one of the first times where it's, hey, I need 3,000 people to take on one guy and 600 people. That, 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 that says something about Saul's, um, Saul's perspective on the situation, right? Um, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. Verse 3, And he came, of the sh- uh, came to the sheepfolds, by the way, uh, where there was a cave. And Saul went to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of a cave. Have you ever been in a cave? Have you ever been in a cave with another person? Two other people, five, ten. Did you know that those people were in there? Only if you had a light? Well, there's other ways to know people are there, but visually, right? You go into a cave, it's echoey. So remember, there's 601 people in this cave right now. So I want you to picture this. So Saul is entering this cave. little side note, right? And I think it's funny. Um, it, there's a little caveat in where the cave is, right? And he ca- this is Saul, right? And he came to the sheepfolds by the way. So David, shepherd, he, what does David know? He's hanging out with sheep again. He's like, I know where I'm safe. I know where I'm secure. This is my home advantage, right? And and so Saul goes into this cave, and the men, so David's men, said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. God is saying this to David. And the people are reminding David of that promise. God is fulfilling a promise in this moment. Doesn't matter if David is ready. Doesn't matter if Saul is ready. He's not. God is fulfilling his side of the promise right now. Now, what does he do? Um, uh, Verse uh, seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. You're telling me, Saul, the king, who's on the search for a guy, steps into a cave, can't hear 601 people in that cave. Not just they're just hiding, but one of them sneaks up so closely and cuts off a piece of robe? Miraculous? Hmm. It's probably just coincidence, right? It's, it's, uh, no, he just was paying attention to other stuff. Guys get distracted. He's on his phone, you know. He's not thinking and the little tugging. Because if you ever cut a piece of robe, it, it might be, you might feel something. You might look eventually. It sounds a little weird to me, right? Cuts off a piece of his robe. Verse 5, and afterwards, David heart was str- uh, David's heart struck him. He feels remorse because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Folks, we have this, this, this situation 
where unlike, because this isn't a good movie, if this was a good movie, right, this is real life, but like if this was a good movie, Saul's, Saul goes into this cave, and he's talking to his, yeah, we're going to kill Dave, we got so many beating people, hold on, I got I to gotta relieve myself, no, 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 right, and, oh, he's standing right behind me, isn't he, and David's right there with a knife, and he goes, what's up, gotcha, right, oh, the Lord gave me, oh, yes, I did it, right, that's not what happens, Saul goes in there, he's talking trash, he's saying, look at my army, look how powerful I am. Without knowing anything of the current situation, he just goes on his day. Comes out, Uh, David, on the other hand, sees the opportunity, is told the opportunity, is provided by God the opportunity And instead of just going in and killing him, he says, listen, I'm going to cut off this little piece and I'm going to feel bad about it because this is my king. Let's see what he does with it. You probably figured it out because you have a backup plan, right? Um, and, after, uh, and afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. Uh, the Lord, capitalized. Forbid that I should do this to my Lord, undercase. What does that mean? Why? Right? The Lord's, once again, big L, right? Appointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not uh, permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave went on his way. I have many issues with that. As a guy, as a, as a moviegoer, as the, as, the great, uh, as the great sentence statement motto says, uh, he's right behind me, isn't he? He's, he's supposed to take this opportunity to do the cool one-liner, say, oh, bet you wouldn't saw more like fall. You know, it's like a cheesy one-liner and then that's it. And that's the movie. And David takes up ownership over the land. He's king. Happy ending. That's supposed to be it, right? Great. I understand, David. Great. You don't want to do it? Wonderful. You have 600 guys who all want to do it for you. You don't want to get your hands duty. Let somebody else do it for you right? You don't want to be the guy who kills Saul. I understand. Killing the king is not always, doesn't always work out. I understand. Maybe that's smart. Maybe you say, hey, Bob, go kill this guy. (laughs) I'm going to go run just in case his 3,000 followers try to kill me. They would have done it. How do I know? Because they told David to kill him. Not only does he not kill Saul, he convinces his 600 guys, hey, this is what the Lord wants. There's a bigger plan, and not only am I going to protect Saul, not only am I not going to kill Saul, I'm going to look to my people, my influence, and say, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to act that way. We're not going to pretend like that's right. We all know that, that I'm going to be king one day. Is it right now? No. We all know Saul's going to die. Should we do it? No. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse 8. Afterwards, David arose. Uh, David also arose and went out of the cave and called out after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, so this is the, it's right behind me, isn't he? 
David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And he's got 600 guys right behind him just in case something goes down. Doesn't say that. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into uh, my hand into the cave. And some, t- uh, and some told you, told me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner uh, of your robe is in my hand. Proof, right? It's not just, hey, I didn't kill you. I could have. I was there, you know. No, I was there. Look it. You see that little hole? <laughs> Found it, right? <laughs> right? Uh, uh, cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. You may know and see that there is no wrong or true. Did I skip? I think I skipped. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hand. Look at everyone else who's saying these things. They can't prove it. They are saying horrible things that I want to kill you, my king. I'm proving, I'm showing with evidence that is not the true, right? Um, uh, I, I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. Even though he understands the situation, even though he's not, he's not sugarcoating anything, ladies and gentlemen. He's stating real facts. He's saying, I understand, Saul. It's not, he's not playing it off. So many times when like, people wrong me, I try to just play it off. You know, like somebody lies to me, somebody does. I'm like, oh, it's no big deal, right? Somebody cheats, you know, or whatever, whatever have you, right? I don't know what your response is. They come to me asking for a minute. It's like, oh, I don't care. It's okay, right? Demeaning what actually happened between us. David could do that. He could say, oh, like you were just coming after me to have a hard conversation, right? It's no big deal. I don't really care if you try to kill me, you know. It's no No, he states, "Listen, I understand you are hunting me. I am prey. And even though that's the case, I'm not going to hurt you." And here's where David is David. And here's why I love David. In that statement of, "I'm not going to hunt you. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to hurt you." He brings up the fact that uh, though uh, may the Lord judge, he says, uh, though you hunt uh, my life to take it, verse 12, he says, may the Lord judge between me and you. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything, but who is? May the Lord have avenge me against you. Who's going to have vengeance? Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea, nothing in your comparison. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see it to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Understand, Saul, that, that I could have killed you, 
and I'm not going to. And, and neither did I do it today, and I'm not going to do it tomorrow, the next day, the next day, because I understand there is a better judge in the world than me. Do we believe that? Do we believe honestly that God is a better judge than us? How then does that change our forgiveness with others? If I need to show and prove someone hurt me by cutting them out of my life, by hating them, by just destroying their, their reputation, their people, by hunting them down and destroying everything they are, how does that prove that God is a better judge than we are? Does it? <laughs> if God is the judge, the judge, T-H-E-E, the judge, man, he did nothing again. I'm, I understand what you just did to me. I forgive you. I'm not going to retaliate. But understand, there's a good, good God that wants to forgive you. What a transition between that and like, get out of my life. <laughs> who, who are you? You just did that to me? Do you know who I am? I'm future king in this place, baby. I just let you live, right? Um, uh, as soon, uh, verse 16, as soon as David had uh, finished speaking these things to Saul, uh, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, a rare case that Saul is starting to actually listen to truth, right? Uh, he did it a long time ago. Had some hard chapters there. Coming back to it, verse 17, he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me. Is that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands? Even Saul is understanding the vast impossibility of just what happened. Out of all of Israel, out of all the known world, Saul goes into the single cave that David is. Impossible. Not only that, God prevents Saul from hearing 601 people in that cave as Saul is most vulnerable. Impossible. And that's not the crazy part, folks. The crazy, absolutely delusional part is David comes up, has a chance to kill Saul, and doesn't. We ask for crazy things as Christians. We ask that God changes our life. We ask God that he comes in and fixes relationships. We focus on that first two steps. You know where God is beautiful, where he does his best work? It's when, it's when you should have got yours and you didn't. Folks, yeah, there, there's two parts of that. Go to heaven, pretty awesome. Gotta say pretty good deal, right? <laughs> gives us a lot of hope. When we lose people, it gives us hope that we're going to see them one day. It's, it's pretty great. We can't forget the uh, other part of that situation. We deserve a lot. None of it is good. <laughs> we deserve all of the, the punishment that Saul should have deserved in this chapter. He is hunting 
one man down because of rumors. He's the king. The most powerful person is chasing after a shepherd, a dog, a flea, nothing. All of his resources are being used to kill one guy. Saul deserves to die. God has removed his spirit from the kingship. Saul deserves everything he would have gotten if this was a cool movie, but it's not. David comes, and he shows him compassion, maybe for the first time in his life. Who showed you compassion? Can we get a little real? Do you know what I'm going to ask you? Who should you show compassion to? You have the knife, you have the dagger. You have every possibility of taking action. You have the power, the ability. God may have given you the chance. God ordained chance, planned chance for you to get your vengeance, to take kingship. Does he want you to take it? Ooh. Don't know how to choose. That's a hard one. Uh, David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you for evil. Verse 18, and you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. Verse 19, for if a man finds his enemy, this is some earthly knowledge, this is what we all wanted to see, will he let him go away safe? So my Lord rewards you with good for what you have done with me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. One of the first times Saul admits it. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Not only you're going to be king, you're going to be a good king. It's going to be good for everybody else. Uh, verse 21, Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul, then, the Lord, then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. See, a common practice when there's a change of kingship is, hey, there's a king. He gives his kingship, whatever it may be, to somebody else. Let's just say that king doesn't have a son, can't do it, right? But he's got a bunch of daughters, right? And, and for whatever reason, uh, new king comes into town, and old king is killed off. Now, new king says, listen, I know I'm the king. I got all the power, but that old king has a lot of family members. And what if one of them wants their kingdom back? I'm not only going to kill the old king, I'm going to king all their family, right? So, so Saul's saying, hey, if, if you really are so good, if you really want to make this promise, I'll get, I understand. You're going to be king one day. Don't kill me. Don't kill my family, my offspring, and all that stuff. Uh, well, with that happy note, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Uh, we, got, we got a couple of uh, fill-ins for you today. Uh, number one, and, and I, this all started with, with my frustration with this chapter because I absolutely adore this chapter, but I'm so unbelievably just just frustrated with David because I'm like, you had the chance and you blew it. You blew it, you blew it, you blew it. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, how do I, how do I get 
to David's perspective. Because if I'm telling the truth, there's, there's a few people in the story, right? There's Saul, there's the people, Saul's men and David's men, and then there's David, right? And I don't think I'm Saul. I'm pretty sure I'm not David, <laughs> which means I'm, I'm the people, because I understand the people. The people are sitting there, and they're looking at other people's lives, and they're like, you have the opportunity. Take it. God promised you something. Do it. I understand that, right? So I'm sitting here, and I'm like, well, they were obviously wrong. <laughs> That's the whole implication of this. David is in the right here. Saul is not righteous. David is righteous, right? So how do I become less like Saul, less like the people, and more like David? So I'm sitting here, and I make up some, some, some keynotes that I think will set us all on the right path. Because like I said, I'm with you guys. Maybe there's some holy people. I probably, there probably is. There, you guys are all, but, but, you know, but I'm sitting in the camp of like, yeah, take, kill, kill him, dude. Take it, right? So this is the, this is the first uh, fill-in for you guys. How do, you get, how do you get like David? How do you fulfill all this stuff? How do you have that perspective? Well, follow God's, following God's plan requires chasing God's voice. Following God's plan requires chasing God's voice. There's been many times in my life, watershed moments, times where I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is my next step? I have no idea, Lord. Right, and I'm sitting there, and I talk to because I have, I have a group of guys that I call, and, and Scott's one of them, and I and now back back you know back a few years ago it wasn't the case, right? I call them, and uh, I was always challenged. Where are, you want God's plan? Are you chasing after His voice? Are you searching for it? See, so much of the time, again, I can't speak for any of you. I don't know what your quiet times are like, or priority times, or Bible readings. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for God's plan. I'm, I'm trying to look for, for God's voice in my life. I'm not reading the Bible, <laughs> right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, God, what do you want me to do? Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Give me oh, patience and all this stuff. And, he, and he's given me his word. Eh, 15 minutes is too long. I'm really busy, right? God, speak to me. Please speak to me. Please speak to me. Well, what's your prayer life like? Pray, that's what they do on Sunday, silly. Right? We don't, we don't pray at home. Like, you know, like pray for dinner? Like, yeah, I pray for dinner, you know. Aggressively chasing after God's voice is the only way we can understand or even get God's plan. Our walkie-talkie is not even low, it's off. <laughs> our phone call, it, our phone is dead. We haven't recharged it. We want to hear from God, but we only connect with him for 20 minutes on Sunday. If we're really holy, we go to some small group once a week, right? Aggressively chase after God, right? Um, uh, there's a lot of times in my life uh, I, I would like to call myself a uh, a prepared person, 
uh, early on in my, and, and here's why. If you understand uh, me, you, you kind of see how I'm a little bit, I'm, I don't think I'm OCD, but like, I'm a little like, hey, Camp Rocks in eight months. I'm going to put a banner out, right? <laughs> like it's, you know, like I'm going to get registration forms and, and I go to Rock Bible Church. We're like, <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, it doesn't really, so, uh, so why, why am I like that? Well, for a lot of reasons. One of those is that my first experience with ministry was um it was is is incredibly crazy a lot right but my boss my first opportunity of leading a camp we were doing the southern california summer camp so we'd go to the beach go to disneyland this is back this is back when it was cheap right like you're gonna be like huh right so for like 300 bucks we went to the beach disneyland we did medieval times sometimes we went to knott's berry farm and then maybe uh there's a water park down there right uh, all in five days. It was absolute crazy. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have to lead this camp. What? And I'm like, I'm like 18, 19, right? And I'm sitting there. I'm like bringing 30, 40 kids, something like that, uh, all ages to Southern California, where a lot of people, they've never even left the arms of their own mother, right? Moms, you do too good of a job sometimes, right? And, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, how do I do this? Well, my boss at the time sits down and he's like, hey, everything you do, write down every single thing you're going to do on this trip, make 10 to 15 what-if scenarios. What's the worst possible thing can happen? And also make a list, along with once you have your 10 to 15, also make a list of how do you resolve that. So no matter what, if something comes up, you've probably planned it. And I'm talking, we, we drive one block to go get pizza from the beach. What can happen in that one block? tires can pop, all this. So that's the kind of mentality I have. Wonderful. Great. Here's the problem. <laughs> Did you think there, right? Um, uh, in all of my vast knowledge of wisdom, when I was 18 years old, <laughs> something happened on the trip that I didn't write down on my list. Could you believe it? Right? And I'm consulting my list, and they're saying, Brent, what do we do? What do we do? What, what, how do we do? <laughs> and I'm like, it's not on the list. I made the manual, and it's bad. It's a bad manual, right? <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm, not, I'm just, uh, what do we do? And, I'm, I'm, and everything panned out. Everything worked out. It was okay, right? We lost little Jimmy for an hour. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine, right? It was okay. He made it back on the bus, right? But we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through, and, I'm, and next year happens. And once again, Maybe make, make your list a little bigger. Maybe make your list 15 to 20 things. Okay, okay, okay. And, and I, I'm making my list, and I'm talking to my advisors and my mentors, and, and my friend brings up the fact like, hey, how much prayer have you done? Mm-hmm. Prayer can't fix a flat tire. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to pray, and God's going to make me my manual? How do you get so prepared that you understand that God's got it? This next point. Understand that others won't understand. Understand that others won't understand. See, there's a beautiful life truth in the first section. David spends time in the wilderness. It says it. Very start of the chapter. They say, hey, Saul, guess what? Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. 
If the term wilderness means nothing to you, read the Bible. <laughs> Not trying to be mean, look it up, right? Go, it's wilderness searches. The term wilderness is preparation. One of the first things, yes, water into wine, right? right one of the first things Jesus does, temptation in the wilderness. Israel gets led out of Egypt. They mess up 40 years in the wilderness. Preparation. No matter how much I sit down and prepare, no matter how many what-if statements I make, you spend some time in the wilderness, God prepares you. What does that mean? Does it go out in a forest? Do you have to go out in a desert and not eat for 40 days and 40 nights? Maybe. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> right? But... What is your wilderness? For Camp Rock, the very first year, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm the lonely intern at Rock Bible Church. Kristen just, just left, um, and we're sitting here, and, and I'm like, God, what do I do? I don't even know what Camp Rock is. Last year, I led two kids, and now I'm leading the whole camp. I think back to the wilderness. So I spent time, went up to my cabin, sat there, I prayed. And it was me being a lot of quiet. That's the wilderness, folks. Why does that prepare you? Well, people won't understand that. They'll see your situation. They'll see what's happening. And they won't even second guess what you should do. They look at your life situation. They look at your problems and they say, of course, take it. And if you're being honest about smart and worldly wisdom and, and, and your own understanding, red flag. <laughs> They're right. Obviously take the promotion. Obviously put down your coworkers. Obviously write them. Obviously kill the king. Why are you even having a discussion? They don't understand. They did not meet with God like you did in the wilderness. They did not aggressively seek his voice in the wilderness like you did. What's the life truth behind that? The ends do not justify the means. Have you heard that one before? The ends justify the means? Mm, we like to say that. We like to do that a lot. Yeah. You know, it's okay that you cheat on your homework or the test because you had church the other day. And it's okay. You know what? And, and we make it a game. We proclaim how we backstab to success. We rejoice that we cheated on our taxes. We tell the world that I killed the king, that I'm the guy. Like it's something to be proud of. That look how much I good I did. And, and people, they'll, they'll, they'll get you, man. They'll tell you stories about like, oh, well, there was this guy and he couldn't feed his family and he stole bread just to feed his family. Do you think that's okay? Well, I cheated on my taxes. So it's like the same thing. 
<laughs> right? Like, like, oh, oh, little Jimmy stood up for this girl and he beat up the guy who was beating her up. And that's okay. You can do that. So that's why I pick and I'm a bully. David has every opportunity to say, look, I was, it was self-defense, baby. There was 3,000 guys. I had the power to do it. And he said, yes, one day I'm going to be king, but how I become king is just as important as me becoming king. And that stinks. I hate that. <laughs> because I, if God tells me, hey, in five years going to be doing this, I'm just going to do it. Uh, well, understand that to get to point D, <laughs> you think you're going to go A, B, C, I'm actually going to take you to Q first. <laughs> Just wait, right? <laughs> You're going to see. That's how God works. That's how God, that's, that's why I started to pray, not, hey, God, show me the plan. God, show me the next step of the plan. What is my next step? Number one, follow God's plan. Following God's plan requires chasing God's voice. Number two, understand that others won't understand. Number three, your actions, passions, and priorities show who is behind you. Your actions, passions, and priorities show who is behind you. I kind of alluded to uh, my life here at the church uh, so far. It's been a journey, right? I started, if you, if you haven't been with us about seven years, uh, Ashley and I started coming here about seven years ago, and um, we came and we sat down right over there, and um, I'm sitting there. I was the undercover seminary student because I didn't want anyone to know that I was going to seminary, and I sat there, and uh, because uh, I, I had to, my last year of seminary, I had to intern at church, and I was coming off a pretty hard relationship with my last church. So I was sitting here and I was just trying to find a normal church who's not too uptight, who I don't have to make a list of 20 things about how everything's going to all this stuff. Right, and then I find Scott, and, uh, <laughs> which is... <laughs> uh, um, so, um, so I find Scott, right? And, and, and he's talking to me and he finds out I'm, I'm in seminary. And, and because we had this other seminary student a little prior to me, he knows that I have to get the internship. And he says, hey, do you want to do the internship here? I was like, well, maybe. I mean, this is pretty new, but I'm probably pretty sure. So I, I, I uh, you know, a little bit back and forth. I'm like, hey, let's do it. I'm having a great time. My wife loves it. My parents love it here. It's a great time. Let's do it. So I went from random person that y'all never met to your intern, <laughs> right? And that was great for about, four, it, it was it was great, period, right? Four or five months later, uh, like I said, the, the children's ministry leader at the time left. I'm sitting there and uh, got called to another church, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, listen, Scott, and we're meeting weekly and talking and all that stuff. And listen, um, children's, children's ministry is my background. Student ministry is my background. I've been doing this for, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 something at the time, 25, 26 at the time. And I'm like, listen, I've been doing um, children's ministry and student ministry for 13 years now. Do that math, right? Uh, so uh, I've been doing this for a long time and um, let me do it. I'm already here. I'm available. I'm willing. Let's do it. Great. So I started doing that. I went from intern to children's ministry leader, right? And I'm working with Ricky uh, that we all met last couple weeks. Um, so I'm working with her and all that stuff. Uh, we had a student ministry leader at the time. His name was Giuseppe. 
he gets called to another church. Uh, he gets called to a place called Idaho, another country. And um, so he goes off, and I, I, I look at Scott and listen. Listen, Scott, um, I, uh, you know, I'm doing children's right now, but student ministry is m- also my background. <laughs> I've been doing it for 15 years now, and uh, I thought I could do it. And, uh, you know, uh, if you are willing, let me do it. So I start leading children's and student ministry here at Rock Bible Church. Well, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm moving and grooving and, and kind of loving it. I get to preach every six months, eight months, something like that. Very, very rarely, you know, a few years ago, but I was, I was enjoying it. First time actually preaching on stage for an adult service, right? I'm getting used to it. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. It's a great time. Uh, and um, after years of doing that, it was great. Absolutely adored it. We had a secretary, uh, office manager here, sorry, office manager here. She, uh, her name is Jan Ash. You probably know her, love her. Um, as she said, uh, hey, one day she gives me and Ashley a call. And she's like, hey, I'm uh, moving, moving to another country called Rockland, California, right? And it's uh, very far away, and uh, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen with my job, but I want to let you guys know we're friends and all that stuff. Around that same time, and I'm, I'm a smart guy. I, I've, I've picked up the pattern here. I've gotten a lot of jobs, haven't applied to any of them, right? So I'm sitting there, and, and Scott has this meeting with me and talking and whatnot, he said, and he starts asking this question, what do you want and what does God want for you? What do you want and what does God want for you? For the first time in my entire life, I started asking those questions. Do I want, what does God want for me? And I looked at my life and I looked at the students and I looked around and I said, I want Jan's job. <laughs> I, 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 that's me. The logistics, the working with people. I get to preach more. Heck yeah, man! This is awesome. I get so excited. I'm thinking, what does does God want me to have this? I, I think so. So I start talking to Scott and Megan and the staff and the elders. And I'm, I think God wants me. I want it, but I think God wants me to have this job. Can we get a little real for a second? Is that okay? We're not live streaming, right? Right? Okay, good. We're not live streaming. So, so after this, I, jo- I do this job, and, and, uh, and I know it's okay. So Doug's not paying attention anyway. So we're, we keep going. Um, his, Scott's not here. He doesn't pay attention. So, um, so uh, we, I'm doing this job for years, and I absolutely adore it. And Scott starts saying these things. It's insane. Scott goes away, and I'm preaching one Sunday, and he comes back, and he said something. Um, he said, man, I just realized, Scott's saying this, I go to Brent Baldwin's church. And I'm sitting there. And that thing goes around in my head. Do I want that? Does God want that for me? Instead of making a list of 30 things, I went straight to the wilderness. And instead of doing the thing that everyone, including Scott, was telling me to do, I said, God, what do you want me to do? He said, no. Scott's the guy. We're not recording this, right? <laughs> he can't know I actually support him. Right? <laughs> We're not, you know? Scott's the guy, not me. We can approach that two different ways. 
defeat, loss, anger, sadness, regret, forlorn. What's another thesaurus word, right? Like, we, we, we can re- approach that as, God, why are you giving me this opportunity? Why are people telling me to do it? Why are, is, are the stars aligning? See, for the first time, for one of the first times, I was sitting there in my hammock praying to God. I had a very important question to ask myself. He's standing right behind me, isn't he? I could do it, but should I do it? Here's the live truth, guys. We end the sermon every week, and this isn't the end. Don't get up. (laughs) We end the sermon every week. Scott does his little benediction. He doesn't say go. He says go with him. The life truth for all of us is go and go with him are two very different things. radically changes everything. The world will tell you to do something. Your hopes, your desires will tell you to do something. Your boss will tell you to do something. And the only voice that truly matters may be telling you something different. Today we're going to do communion. You want to start chasing your relationship with God? You start wanting to start connecting with God? Communion's a pretty good way to do it, <laughs> if not the best way to do it. Friendly reminder, I, 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 I challenged us all on the first Sunday of the year. I said, in 2023, never take communion lackadaisically. I've been doing church for many, many years now, and I've taken communion many, many times lackadaisically. I ate the bread, which it was just bread to me, lackadaisically. I, t- I took the grape juice, sometimes wine. I grew up Catholic, right? <laughs> or a Lutheran, right? Um, lackadaisically. It's not about that. It's not about getting full. It's not about taking a cracker and dipping it and doing that. It's about something so much greater than that. As you come up, we're gonna, I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and do a song. As, it you, as you come up, grab a piece of the bread, dip it in your grape juice, go back to your seat. As you, as you take it, say this to yourself. Ask yourself this. He's standing right behind me, isn't he? Because it's absolutely true. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you so much for communion and what it means, God. You are giver. You are life. You are Savior. Uh, I apologize greatly that sometimes we do take communion not seriously enough. We, we, we forget the, the severity, the price that was paid for us to take communion. 
I pray during this time that, that, that no one approaches the cross, no one takes communion in that way. I pray that we all understand the, the price that was paid so that we can come together today in 2023 and take communion together. But we're not alone individually, but you're with us. We're not alone in person. Our church is with us. That we have a body of believers standing behind each and every one of us. And we also have a God that's standing behind us as well. Amen. Come take up whenever you're ready. You say these words, he's right behind me, isn't he? You wake up tomorrow, say these words, he's right behind me, isn't he? You go to work, he's right behind me, isn't he? You eat, he's right behind me. You drink, he's right behind me. You talk to your neighbors, he's right behind me. Everything you do, say, think, act. This week, say the words, he's right behind me, isn't he? Because he absolutely is. Go with him. Have a great week, you guys. Thank you.